Man, if I had one wish, if I get an old grad podcast with Jamie, I want Dennis to be a part of it because I want every classmate to hear Dennis's story. Thanks for being on the Old Grab Podcast. Tonight is uh, actually uh, kind of a special night because this is Affirmation Day up at West Point. So uh, I was just up there. I was just up there for this for a lot of for a lot of this week. And so today is Affirmation Day, and today we have the pleasure of interviews of interviewing our esteemed classmates, uh, one of the five five twins in our class, uh, Vince Lindemeyer. Vince, welcome. Thank you, Jamie. Thanks for thanks for being here. And uh, you know, I, I did a combo check here, and I see Brian Sharp of all people just replied. All I could hear is ELL. This is Brian Sharp's on Facebook now for about a week. I think he's he just got onto Facebook for the first time, which is uh, oh, wow. which is good. I mean, it's uh, you know, it, it, like there's it's kind of a mixed bag Facebook. I mean, I think that there's value from it. Definitely, there's value in terms of connection, but it's you know, it's it's got some negatives with the positives. So. Uh, I'm psyched to have you on here, Vince. It's a good time. Thank you. And Vince, you brought a friend uh, who we're going to be hearing from later in the podcast. Uh, but I, I don't want people to, to not know who else is on the podcast. So Dennis, we have Dennis Gillen from Half a Sorrow Foundation, right? That's correct. Thank you for having me on. You know, I'm, I'm a, a client of Vince's, so there's a tie-in here we'll get to. Yeah. yeah. I'm excited to hear about Vince's... Uh, his, what he's doing to support your organization and also the mission of your organization. So our focus tonight, we're going to take a little bit of a different tack from our typical format. We're going to condense the first 45 minutes and try to go at like warp speed through Vince's story and then leave the back half of the conversation to talk about the work of Half a Sorrow Foundation, which is focused on mental health awareness and it's about being togetherness and it's about um, support for one another, right? So uh, that's, that's the format. Very good. So Vince, first tell me why the walk-up song? Uh, why ELO? Why that particular song by ELO? Well, I never knew that ELO and Mr. Blue Sky meant anything to me until I did a Warrior Path, which is a week of um, really learning how to take care of yourself. And it's sponsored by Boulder Crest Foundation. And we did a lot of reflection on what song really triggered joy in you. And the ELO, Mr. Blue Sky, I just recall being in my father's Porsche 911 and going very fast down the highways, actually Dennis 123 highway between Clemson and Greenville. Um, and he knew where all the speed traps weren't, were and weren't. So that was good quality time with my father, who was a college professor at Clemson University. And as a twin, you don't get much quality time with your dad without sharing it with your twin. But uh, don't worry, um, I've promised a twin episode and Vic has signed up and we, we are gonna have the full twin episode at a later date coming soon to uh, Old Grab Podcast near you. Cool, so cool. 
So Vince, tell me about the here and now. Where are you? Where you? Where do you live? Tell me about the family, the kids. What's going sure. on? Uh, we uh, moved. Uh, Cynthia Ramirez, Lyndon Meyer. Cynthia Ramirez is class of 90, 1990 West Point. She was a I three polar bear. Did I get that right? And now the polar bears are back, I believe. And um, we um, been married for 27 years. We're empty nesters. We have a daughter who graduated Colorado State University, living in Fort Collins, but moving to Phoenix and soon to be engaged. That's Carly. And our son, Luke, is a redshirt freshman or for book terms, a sophomore, college of business and Nebraska football tight end. So, so say- living in Deerfield Beach, Florida, um, South Florida, um, have not connected with Paul Smallcheck yet, but I'm looking forward to doing that. Also, Chad Mickelson is up in Jupiter. But other than that, I can make a big call out. Happy to do coffee with any of the classmates in South Florida. I saw something, too, that John Keenan's heading down there. I, I don't know if he's going to South Florida, if he's going to Florida. Uh, he was trying to hook up with some classmates, too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, that's Fort Lauderdale. I hope to meet up with them if he does go through with that trip. Yeah. You know, speaking of meeting classmates and trying to connect with one another, um, I I just spent the last week at West Point. It was tremendous. I've got a lot of little nuggets to sort of drop into our call today. But one of the things that was a real focus was the use of Sally Port in as the primary means to connect with one another. And one of the benefits of Sally Port, which is an online kind of collaboration and um, like a network, private network, is that it allows you to see where people are. So like if you're traveling to South Florida and you wanna just see, let me filter for all the classmates, class of 1991 in South Florida, boom, you get a map and you see where people are. Um, it's only as accurate as the data is current, but it's pretty accurate. And it, and it has um, current email, current phone numbers. You can reach out and connect. Um, LinkedIn has a similar has a similar feature as well. We have a LinkedIn uh, profile for our class, which also has about 500 members in addition to Facebook. I'm sure Facebook does it too, but I don't know how Facebook does it. But um, you know, these are our three primary means of connecting with one another: is you know, Facebook, Sally Port, and LinkedIn, in addition to the emails that come out periodically. So um, great way to connect, and a lot of our a lot of our talk today is going to be about the importance of staying connected. So, um, so, so Vince, you said that your son, he is, your, is Luke was his name? You said Luke? Is, Correct. Yeah. Luke, yeah, Luke's yeah. in Nebraska, right? He, he's playing we football. were actually in Nebraska for about 12 years. Uh, that was my final duty station, retiring as a colonel from U.S. Strategic Command. And um, he was also recruited for Army football. But unfortunately, we moved there in third grade, and he stayed there through high school. So he was fully propagandized and brainwashed to be a Nebraska Husker, which we love. And he's in the right spot because the leadership development there is unbelievable, too. As a former tactical officer at West Point, then I could vouch that, man, some of the stuff he gets is pretty amazing. So I'm very we're pleased every day that he's in the place that he's called to be. That's great. So this is really his first year playing college football, having been registered last year, right? Correct. So how's the prospect for the football team in this upcoming season? Are you going to get to? Are you going to get to the games? Like what? What? How's how's that going to go down? 
Yeah, I'm gonna. Uh, I'm signed up to go to every home and away game. It's gonna be my life's calling, I guess. Um, it really goes to the story of um, being a West Pointer that was an overachiever with three master's degrees and a PhD, and you know, full colonel by year 25 uh, as an officer, and then getting out and saying, "Wow, uh, wow, I sure did focus on my career." and was really uh, confronted with, wow, I miss Luke learning to walk at West Point. He was, Luke was actually born at West Point when I was a tactical officer. And, you know, maybe uh, my daughter's teenage years, she struggled and uh, Cynthia was stuck with really working through those issues. So I, the, the actual, um, chaplain diagnosis is called deep loss where you have significant deployments and you miss things and you feel like you can't make it up and so that was a post-traumatic stress kind of deep loss diagnosis and now that I'm out uh now that I'm really redefining who I am and how I help others which is uh nonprofit advising which helps me get out of bed um, I want to uh, I want to be there at every football game because that's like going into combat, right, Jamie? <laughs> and the Cornhusker football, I think it might be, yeah. Yeah, and he's been struggling with um, so a minor concussion and some headaches. So, um, you know, as a dad, you're like, well, what can I do? Well, you really can't do anything. So I've really had to let let go and just trust, you know, higher power that, um, this is taken care of. He's in great hands. You know, you have the neuro, neuropsychologist call you and say, yeah, it's just a minor headache. But man, the care that they have right now uh, for the football junkies out there, there's this thing called a Q collar. And it's like a U-shaped uh, horseshoe that goes around your neck and it kind of snugs in against your jugular vein and it keeps blood above your neck in your head to uh, cushion your brain. And so some football players are using that to protect them, their brains from injury. And it was actually developed by special operations forces, but believe it or not, they're getting $200 for this Q collar. So um, Luke has one on order and he should have that going uh, pretty soon here, but He's fine at tight end, but they put him in at fullback, and that is a whole nother world of uh, the collisions as a fullback. So it's just every day's learning, and um, they're they're in their third week, starting their third week of fall camp right now. So he's uh, second string fullback and third string tight end right now. It's a redshirt freshman. Wow. And you said your daughter is going to be getting married or getting engaged here, you said? Pretty soon here, uh, heading down to Phoenix, and um, she was in full-time ministry with student mobilization, and she's looking at some nonprofits down in the Phoenix area, such as Arizona Rescue Mission and some other places like that to begin her career. We should say hello to some of our classmates that are on the line with us. I know we've got Moni Fox uh, is on the line, uh, Nancy Lynn Green, Scotty Fight, uh, Brian Sharp. Um, I only know you if you if you uh, chime in that you're there. I can't see the uh, other folks that are listening, but 
if you get a chance, you can pepper in questions. I'll be responding to them throughout the podcast. So uh, thanks very much for all of our classmates that have joined us. So Vince, um, your wife, Cynthia, did, did you did you date at school or how did you guys get connected along the way in your life? Yeah, that's a great story. I only knew of Cynthia through like Navigator Bible study, but you know, when you do Navigators, they got the boys on one side and the girls on the other, right? And then she did also play team handball, so she knew my twin brother, Vic. But um, it, we were captains in the Army in Korea, and we were in a very remote post called Camp Long. There was Camp Long and Camp Eagle. A lot of Army aviators would go to Camp Eagle and fly Apaches. But um, we met in 1996, and it kind of felt like God cornered us in the middle of nowhere to get to know each other. And um, as soon as I walked up to her, she's like, I knew your brother. I don't know if this is going to work out. <laughs> so I had to overcome the twin disadvantage. But um, no, it worked out and we got married um, actually 27 years ago will be September 20th at the embassy. And then seven days later, we did a, a chaplain, you know, a, a army chapel wedding. But um, getting married at the embassy, you go up to the bulletproof glass and they say, congratulations, you're married. And, you know, you go to Applebee's in, in Seoul, Korea. So that was all, that's fun. And it's been an adventure. I, I attribute a lot of my health and wellness to my uh, mixed doubles pickleball partner, Cynthia. And what's she up to? What does she do? Um, she is an online chaplain for American Public University System, also known as American Military University. A lot of people go to that, a lot of soldiers. Um, before that, she was a chaplain at West Point for uh, seven years and then active duty for seven years. So um, she also is executive director of Sacred Activism Community, and she's exploring new ways to help veterans and women surviving sexual assault uh, through psych the use of psychedelics. And um, she's also looking at retreats in Costa Rica. So um, really lifelong learner. And as long as I keep up with Cynthia, I'm always gonna be um, feeding from the fire hose in the learning category. So she's basically taking survivors of sexual trauma that are military, military folks and bringing them down to Costa Rica and then allowing them to take psilocybin. Is that what the, uh, the psychedelic is or, or mescaline or something? And then that helps them to kind of like unpack the trauma that they have, right? Yeah, we did a sacred, I did, uh, that could be a whole episode, obviously, but um, to, for, for classmates to know that um, Cynthia and I are exploring or researching psilocybin or sacred mushroom ceremonies. We did a ceremony together, but separate. And I was able to connect with a higher power with a, a bigger love than just me personally. And um, it's, it's a very uh, expanding experience. I can say that. And, um, you know, Cynthia is exploring like ketamine, um, just, uh, Rape, the Colombian tobacco, and she's just really trying to explore all of these different um, avenues to really unlock 
um, a greater spirituality, so to speak. So that's sacred act activism community in its current state. I'm so fascinated by this space. I don't want to I don't want to delve in too much on this, but this is I, I could talk for a, a long time about this. But this is like the 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 trauma that veterans have experienced have opened up a whole area of scientific research, and they've kind of legitimized the use of these substances as a way to try to learn what's going on. Like LSD back in the in the 60s was shut down because people started abusing it, but it actually was begun as a research tool, right? So, um, so but I mean, this is the second time we're talking about this on an old grab podcast. The first time was with um, Clay Lowe is talking about when he- Yeah, did exactly. I, he, that was a great episode. He did He did mushrooms in a, in a he said the tent that he was, he was, he was camping. He said the tent seemed like it was the Superdome. Like it was this massive, like, like he couldn't, but so, Tell me what your experience was like. So what do you, what do you microdose it first? Like, how do you make sure that you're like, I'd be, I, I have never done it. I'm afraid to, I'm afraid what's actually in my head. I don't want to know. It's like, there's too much, like there's too much going on there. I, I'm, but what was it like? So like, do you, do you microdose it? Do you take, like, is well, it you, you cleanse. What you have to really do first is really cleanse your body from all the toxins and you have to eat a very clean diet. And you have to go caffeine free and you really uh -huh. just kind of cleanse your body. You're like sipping water and eating, you know, very clean diet. And then um, the, the microdosing is later. Sometimes people start with microdosing and then um, the mega dose or the sacred level ceremony dose is four to eight grams i believe i'm not sure i'm not hold on just back let's set this up a little bit more so you went down to costa rica to do this right because you don't want to do this in the u.s because it's still illegal right so you do it in costa rica right correct okay and you stay in a hotel or you staying at like a camp there's a lot of retreat ceremony a lot of retreats uh i don't know if it was an airbnb it was actually a retreat center that kind of facilitates things and then you have all the sourcing and all that and really, we were going to begin um, the Solas retreat and begin doing sacred mushroom ceremonies for about five to eight folks and start rotating people down there to really begin healing. But really, the people that make the money are the retreat centers. And it's a really slim margin and a lot of high risk because it's really hard to get folks down there. Uh, one benefit of being in South Florida is the plane tickets to Costa Rica are very inexpensive. You can get down there for 200 bucks, no more than 500. So that, and that's a round trip ticket versus like from Omaha, you're looking at $1,500. No, no pun intended, right? Round trip ticket. Yeah. <laughs> so, but uh, what I experienced was, um, just hold on one second. I want, I want to build up this. So back it up. So how long are you? How long are you on this cleansing thing? Like Keith Brown, by the way, says no caffeine, can't do it. So how long do you go without caffeine? You're only drinking water. Like are you taking a diuretic? Like are you like trying to cleanse your body? Like get all no, just just eat a clean diet, right? So right, so you're, it's you mostly you stay away from fats and meats uh just anything fatty is really gonna uh get in the way right. so you're just a clean you know vegan go to a vegan restaurant and that's what you're eating buddy uh but anyway you know 
you're doing that for about five days is was the when we started doing again i was a follower so i just did whatever cynthia told me to right she's my wife and i'm just kind of a guinea pig uh -huh. right so i mean for me to have to recite the exact steps i would highly encourage us all to talk to cynthia <laughs> okay but so i'm just fascinated so that so then you 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 build up to the macro dose. You're doing micro dosing, like to sort of build it up a little bit, right? Then you do the four gram dose or eight gram dose. Yeah, I thought for my body, two hundred and fifteen pounds. I thought the four gram dose was a little light. I thought I needed more, and so um, the facilitator had me do some rape, uh, the the tobacco rape. Uh, after and she's like no you're not doing any more mushroom so i was like okay but it really uh it, it really allowed me to work on some internal issues that i didn't really know what i was working on but i was really kind of just working on that and then towards the end of the experience we went outside and the sky kind of like clay Lowe said with the uh super dome metaphor of the tent this sky literally looked like the zodiac with like every star i could see the actual zodiac the way it was supposed to be and i look up there right now and i'm like wait a minute i should be able to see but it just accentuates light and sound in such a unique and also this the playlists the facilitator used the sounds were just completely uh just had more uh feeling to them so all all of your senses were uh heightened and uh it just allowed you to understand that there was a higher power that loved you and that you didn't have to unpack or carry those issues like jamie you're like i don't want to unpack or you got you know we have issues that we're holding on to that we can just let go and if there was a theme for for tonight it'd be like just letting go the things that we can't really um, affect change to like Luke's headache. I can't really do anything about that right now, except trust that he's in great hands and he is. And um, the same thing with Jeff, my colleague who's struggling with uh, gallbladder cancer, the Citadel 91 guy we talked about just before the call started. You know, I, I carried a lot of a big rock in my rucksack about, man, I really wish I could take that burden off of my classmate or he's a citadel but 91 guy you know really fighting cancer and um when i did when i do my meditation and let go of those things i'm in a much better place and i think the psilocybin ceremony really allowed me to let go of things that um i needed to and so i highly encourage people to continue to talk about the possibility of doing uh, a sacred mushroom ceremony or just talking about it. And yeah, between Clay Lowe and I, I guess the universe is kind of aligning these things up for people to at least hear about it and know that it's not, um, it's a natural plant-based, 100% grown from the earth. It's not a man-made drug. It is on schedule one. It is illegal, but it's because of the 60s and people partying and doing too much uh, damage with it back in the day. But I think it's it's regaining a lot of momentum, not only in Congress, 
but also through uh, the VA. And um, I think we're going to see a lot of momentum uh, towards healing in this in this area. So how long does it last for? It's just uh, usually it's an evening ceremony. And by about two o'clock in the morning, you're ready. Definitely have experienced what you're going to experience and you're ready to sleep like a baby. So it's about a four to six hour max kind of experience, depending on um, if you're doing the rape. Uh, and the rape is a sacred tobacco that you have blown up your nose and it it does additional kind of work um, that, you know, people get trained by shamans and they, you know, smash all this stuff up in the Amazon and it's this rape kind of snorted tobacco. Wow. Um, so let's, let's, uh, so let, let's close, which is can, um, uh, in terms of the, the, the here and now. So what you're doing right now is you are working with nonprofits. You're helping them with business planning, operations. Uh, you're like helping to optimize the work of nonprofits, right? Yeah, uh, after I retired from the military, I really had to, you know, I tried to go be Dr. Lindenmeyer in the War Games Center. And then uh, I was kind of sitting on the couch and Cynthia said, hey, there's a nonprofit executive director in North Omaha, African-American guy, he's a civil rights activist and he's had a stroke. I need you to go work with him because we have to have programming that he's doing and I can't have this not fail. So I had a mission and it got me off the couch and into North Omaha. And suddenly I felt like I was deployed again. I was in the red zone. I, you know, I'm in North Omaha. I was uncomfortable and it was invigorating. And so I was like, hey, I got a lot to offer folks in the nonprofit space. And it's every day's new. It's just like the military and every day, every problem's different. So I started doing that, and then I realized I needed help with fundraising, which is how I got Jeff Jernigan from the Citadel 91 guy. He had been doing fundraising. So we kind of teamed up together, and we started nonprofit advising. Uh, and I said, well, hey, I could do strategy for you, or we can do basic um, fundraising initiatives. Let's help build your brand better. And along this beautiful journey, I've been able to meet monthly with Scotty Fight with the Foundation for Hospital Art in Atlanta, you know, C291, who's on. Thanks, Scott. And uh, he's not a client, but he's taught us so much because he's an experienced executive director. And um, he's running a, a very mature nonprofit. And then we've also been able to help Scott Hooper and his wife Kay uh, with the horsemanship for heroes and get that actually started off the ground in Reno, Nevada. And Kenny Mintz just made a beautiful post about getting to meet the horses and all the great work they're doing. They are going to do some fabulous work here in the next few years. And actually, Dennis was able to meet Scott and Kay when he did a speaking event in Reno. So. Um, Dennis and I uh, connected. Uh, wow, maybe Dennis would have to tell me how we connected, but we had a call and then we hit it off. And I was like, wow, 
what a big brother to really make sense of um, mental health, of uh, suicide prevention, of mental health awareness, and really where uh, self-care really comes to the point with um, relationships and, and brotherhood. And I've connected so well with him. I, every time I meet with Dennis, I was like, man, if I had one wish, one break, break the glass moment, you know, in emergency, break the glass. This is a break the glass moment. It's like, man, if I get an old grad podcast with Jamie, I want Dennis to be a part of it because I want every classmate to hear Dennis's story. And I want them that if you ever have a podcast, it's like, just put on there instead of Vince Lindemar, just say break the glass self-care and let's talk about really uh, bringing our class together around health and wellness and um, healing each other through these types of um, conversations. So before we pivot to Dennis, because I definitely want to hear his story in the Half Sorrow Foundation, we're going we're gonna to put a pin in, uh, Vince, your, your typical podcast. I got to hear like highlight and low light of your West Point experience and then uh, your army experience, and then we'll then we'll pivot to Dennis, right? Because okay. and when we do the when we do the the twins podcast, we're going to go further into the story of the bulldogs and you know the the club B two and all the crazy stuff that happened there. But we're going to put it we're we're going to hear about that on that future podcast. But for for right now, before we pivot to Dennis, give me your 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 seminal memories of West Point and the army, and then we'll move to Dennis. Well, I was able to uh, really have, was fortunate to have a full, you know, quarter of a century career. You know, I started out in 7th ID, uh, Ovi Alfaro and Lee Fleming, who finished at Houston, but was a classmate for a while, uh, were uh, at 7th ID with me. And then quickly, I was infantry branch detailed ordnance, went to 2nd Armored Division at Fort Hood. What uh, Paul Brooks was uh, a colleague there and just a number of classmates at Fort Hood, obviously. Went to Korea, met Cynthia. Um, got back, went to Korea to get to the 82nd Airborne so I could command there. I was in the DISCOM as the heavy maintenance company commander and then was able to get to West Point to be attacked. And um, I was attacked off for A4. And A4? There you go, Apaches. Apaches, that's my daughter's company. She's in A4. Yeah, great culture, at least when I was there. I love the, I love the Apaches. Um, to stay, at, because Cynthia had that civilian job as a chaplain, and we were doing such amazing work uh, with cadets, with what she was doing, I volunteered to go to Egypt. So I did the uh, multinational force and observer mission for a year. I was at Battalion XO over there. Then came back to West Point to the garrison side and actually was the operations officer that had to get all the cars on West Point post 9-11 for a football game and off and still maintain security. So that was lovely. And then um, just a year of doing garrison operations, had not deployed to a combat zone yet, so went to uh, CENTCOM forward headquarters in Qatar to run uh, 
the chief of staff's office for General Austin at the time, now the SecDef. Um, met enough people there, they're like, oh, wow, you're like an egghead with working on your PhD. We want you to go to HRC and do the OPMS task force in DC for two years. I did that and then ended up becoming an FA-59, a strategic plans and policy officer and went to the War College on faculty and then ended up doing the distance course there. And then after finishing the distance course, went to Baghdad to do the uh, multinational force, Iraq, and then OSCI. So we went from 40,000 soldiers to 400. And lucky me, I was one of the 400 with General Castlin and was um, proud to help move the Iraq National War College uh, to a new campus. And um, actually General Kazan said I couldn't leave till they moved in. So my six month deployment went to eight or nine and Cynthia wasn't happy. But um, after that, uh, moved out to the middle of the country to Omaha to US Strategic Command, was fortunate to pin on 06, became a battle watch commander and um, at the very end there, and uh, had to do night shift at 46 years old. And that completely discombobulated me to the point that when I finally retired, I was like, I'm not doing well. Like everything was unwound. And so uh, now that I was retired, I was going to the VA and saying, I'm not doing well. So that's when things really started to, my healing path really, really began and um you know identified that deep loss that pts and even working with dennis uh you know he referred me to warrior path and that was a week long of really great healing self-care and a big proponent of folks really learning how to reconnect with nutrition active lifestyle meditation uh, just simply walking in the woods or like here we're a couple blocks from the ocean and touching the ocean and just reconnecting with nature in a way that's um, grounding. Wow. So, um, one real quick question. General Austin, what was that like working with him, General Austin? He was the most intimidating boss I ever had. He was like, I was, I made the mistake of knocking on his door once and I felt like he was the Wizard of Oz and I was a scarecrow. I was just like shaking, like, what did I do? Like knock on his door. What was I thinking? Like, he's like, what do you want? I'm like, sir, the colonels are ready for you. And he's like, they can wait. And I'm like, holy hell, why did I even knock on his door? Like, what was I thinking? Yeah, he was a piece of work. <laughs> I think about that guy a lot. You know why? Here's a guy who's just like chilling in retirement, right? He's sitting on boards so in the Board of United Technologies where I had some interaction with him. He's pulling down big board fees. He's smoking cigars on a golf course. He's not working that hard, loving life. And next thing you know, he gets tapped to be Secretary of Defense. And he's flying back and forth to Poland. He's busting his ass again for our country. I mean, thank God for people like that. I mean, completely living up to the you know, to, to, to our class motto of duty shall be done. He is doing it. But I was like, wow, that guy, I mean, how old is that dude? He's probably in his early seventies, I think. I mean, he deserves it. 
he deserves to chill and have a cigar at a, on a golf course. And he is busting his ass. I mean, that's oh, he's amazing. That was a year. He was the chief of staff as a two star. So we had Abizade and Scaparati too. It was an amazing staff. I mean, it was a rock star staff. It was like every day you pinched your, you know, self. But, and say, oh, but take those two guys, Abizade and Scaparati. What are they doing right now? What they're probably looking at a at a sunset on the ocean or something. They're not. Yeah. They're not. They're not worried about like you know multiple levels of threats that that uh that austin's worried about but anyway i mean good on him thank god we got people like that continuing to work for our country but so along the way of working in your work of supporting foundations and 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 supporting nonprofits this is where you connect with dennis and his amazing story and so we're going to talk about dennis's foundation and dennis what dennis provides for the world and dennis thank you for being part of this this is an important topic for us for our class we go, we go through transitions in life. There are stressors. We know that we have lost classmates to suicide. And this is something that you specifically, you focus your work in this area. So Dennis, welcome to the Old Grab Podcast. Thank you for being here with us tonight. And maybe Vince, you want to introduce him and we can begin to learn more about Dennis's story? Well, uh, Dennis is, again, a big brother. Uh, he... I'll still, you know, he says his misery is now his mission. And um, he has a, a West Point accent. He said Nyack, was it? <laughs> and, uh, you know, he connects with, I, I'm surprised he, he wasn't ever a cadet when I talking to him. He's, he's uh, had a illustrious career in the pharmaceutical industry and he's, he, he knows how to be a professional and be have a career. And he's essentially worked with the state of South Carolina to start the 988 program, which is the new suicide hotline. You call 988 now. It's across the whole country. The Trump administration implemented that. And there's been a lot of growing pains, but it seems to be working. And then he branched off and said, you know what, I'm going to do this full time. And so part of uh, part of my uh, the twins have a birthday. So August seventeenth, I'm going to do a Facebook fundraiser for Half a Sorrow Foundation this week. So would really love it if classmates could, after hearing his story, would be very motivated to give to Half a Sorrow this week. But it's uh, definitely my honor every time I'm I listen to Dennis or I see what he's putting out in social media, it connects at a very high level. And uh, I'm just thankful that our classmates can hear uh, his, his point of view on this uh, very important topic. Dennis, welcome. Thanks so much. Well, thank you for having me. This is an important topic. And I, I loved hearing about Vince's story because now I know more about my consultant than I ever knew uh, before. So thank you. So, so Dennis, um, We'll just get right into it. You have lost two close family members to suicide. And it was a, a tragic experience for you. And you said you want to make your misery your mission. And you have done all that you can to raise, uh, to raise this issue, to, to be able to make it something that we talk about, mental health, pursuing mental health. And so can you give us a little bit of your story of what brought you to what you do today? 
Sure, and, and all you grads are familiar with the Hudson Valley and you were in Orange County, New York. One county below you all is Rockland County. I, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Nyack, New York, great place to grow up. I'm one of five kids and you mentioned uh, the two. I'm one of three boys, you know, Sheila, Mark, me in the middle, Janice and Matthew. And as it stands right now, I'm the only boy left. I lost Mark to suicide in 1983 and we didn't handle that very well or I didn't for sure. And 11 years later, uh, history, history repeated itself and uh, we lost Matthew to suicide 11 years after we lost Mark. I wouldn't wish one on the devil himself. And our family had endured two of them. And we, and we just got data in, Jamie. We just got data in now. This is timely because it came out last week that we have now 49,449 in America. And you were talking about your class, how it impacted you know, your class. It's hard to find somebody who's not been impacted by it. And, and my goal is to make sure nobody gets impacted by it. Yeah, Dennis. So, I mean, I think that there are, there are demographics that lend themselves to be at a higher risk, right? And so like high achieving individuals, um, age groups, uh, access to lethal means, uh, can you talk a little bit more about like what is what is this epidemic of suicide look like in the United States, uh, and where are the high risk factors? Well, I'm so glad you all are doing this because the class in 1991, uh, you, you fit right in that middle of that. That everyone thinks about the kids when you think about suicide. And my brothers are both in their 20s when they died. Uh, that's that's tragic because it's a long loss of life. You know, there's a lot of years in there. But the group I'm most worried about that have the highest numbers per 100,000 are people 44 and higher. 44 to 64 is, they grew off the chart and then 65 plus. So the fact that you're doing this, Jamie, for this class and continuing on and continue to form these connections is so important because as we grow older, this is true, as we grow old, we, lo we lose friends. We just do. And I watched my dad do it. As he got older, just people go by the wayside. Life gets in the way. So I'm going to say a hats off to you guys for doing this podcast and keeping this class together because I always say this in my presentation, a stick alone can be broken by a child, but a stick in a bundle cannot be broken. And class of 1991, that's a really good bundle. Your, your memories from West Point, you know, just listen to that earlier part with Vince, and I can't wait for the twin episode to hear the brother's perspective. Uh, you guys have memories that last a lifeline, lifetime, and you, you formed a really tight bundle. And it's important that you keep that bundle together no matter what age you are. Do you think, are there points in life, are there events that make us more vulnerable to falling into depression, like changes in jobs or aging or kids leaving the nest or divorce? Like, I, I would think that 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 demographic of 44 and above being the highest risk group, maybe there are a number of triggering events that happen that increase our vulnerability. Is, is that is that the case? It's it's Jamie, you nailed a bunch of them there. We call them risk factors. And I always you could boil it down, you know, a divorce. I had one of those was awful, uh, loss of job, any kind of transition. And then think of what what Vince shared with us earlier. He retired. All of a sudden, you know. It's a loss of a job where you voluntarily you, you left, but that structure, any, I, so I really boil it down. And I'm not a psychologist, a psychiatrist. I was a guy that on a mission, um, 
I'd boil it down to Jamie, anybody in transition. You mentioned empty nesters. All right, that you look back, I had two boys, they're out of the house. I'm like, oh, you know, I loved having them around. Everybody was like, aren't you glad they're out? I'm like, no, I hate it. I hate it. I love having them around. Um, uh, we, they're doing exactly what we told them to do, you know, fly, be free, and I can't stand it. Uh, and then, you know, retirement, looking back, I remember my dad retired and his job, it shouldn't define you, but it was a big part of his, you know, his life. And it was a big part of who he was. And uh, I saw him struggle a little bit. So anyone in transition, a divorce, any guy that gets divorced, because I'm on his mail kit, because 80% of all suicides are men. Women are not off the hook. Three to four times more attempts. But any guy, any friend of yours that's going through a divorce, you should that question should come right out of your mouth that, dude, are you suicidal? Don't even cut to the chase. Don't try to you know peel the onion back. Bang, hit him hard with that, because I went through one, and it felt like a death. I have a close friend who experiences his life is he was in and out of depression, right? His family, his family is, suffers from depression. He lost his father to suicide. He lost his sister to suicide. And he suffers from depression, right? And he has this perspective. He said, there are people who are depressed and that's all they think about is suicide. And there are people who are depressed and they don't think about it. They're just depressed. They go through a tough time, but they're not thinking about it, right? So, so from what you've seen, is that is that the case? I mean, like, are all people that are depressed at risk of suicide, or is that a special type of depression? You, know, you, you hit on a term I heard from another guy. Who's, it's the way he put it. It's chronic suicidality. That's what they call it in the in the field. Chronic suicidality. The way he said, he goes, dude, it's always on the menu. It's always an option for me. It's always there. Every, a lot of people, it's not. I. I I'm so blessed today. I sat next to a guy uh, at church today that I thought we were going to lose, and he's doing so much better. Like he had serious depression, but he didn't. He said, I never thought about that. But I mean, this guy lost it all, and I thought we were going to lose him. And he's on the rebound. So there's a, you know, like with your, with your friend and probably in the Gillen family, there's a genetic predisposition to some kind of chemical imbalance that just throws us. And then you, you add an external factor like a trauma on top of that. And speaking to your classmates, uh, any traumatic event, it could trigger that. So that chronic suicidality for some folks, it's got to be, it's got to be hell on earth because it's always on their mind. And they have to do the work. Like Vince, part of a lot of Vince's story is doing the work. He 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 lives the thing that so self-care is not selfish. He put himself through some stuff. And he mentioned a warrior path from the good folks at Bouldercrest, which was kind of a funny story because I said, hey, Vince, they're looking for an executive director. You should call over there. Little did he know that we're both like, you know what, maybe you should go there. You know, <laughs> so he called uh, Sutton Shaw and he talked on the phone and she said, finally, she made the assessment I was thinking. She goes, you know what, you need to do a week here. So he did it, but he did the work. So anyone who's in that depressed stage, and you're, you're self-aware of it. Um, part of part of your duty now is to take care of yourself mentally, especially at our age. I'm a little older than you guys. I, I, I graduated college in 85. So if, if you guys say that your know, duty shall be done, I'm going to add to you know, part of your duty right now, class of 91, should be taking care of yourself. But you've taken care of this country. You've done a lot of sacrifices for us, and God bless all of you. But now part of your duty is taking care of yourself. Please, for everyone you love, do it. Well, and Jamie. Jamie, I'd like to shout out, you know, what Tracy Fisher's doing with the Healthy Leaders Group on Facebook. I mean, 
it's a co-ed group and um i think that's phenomenal what she does just i mean she's always had time for me anytime i've asked for a call she always had a half hour for any classmate but the stuff the topics that they talk about in the healthy leaders group is like getting good sleep gratitude you know the exercise the nutrition the breathing techniques the sound healing. I mean, there's so many neat things that are talked about in that group. And uh, just recently, I've found a men's group. So, you know, there's co-ed groups and there's men's groups that uh, there's a men's group here in South Florida. It's called Wolfpack. And they do a sauna and a cold plunge to ground. And then you circle up and you just do three minute share and you're done. And so these little things these groups that really get come together and encourage people those challenges like the recent 30-day challenge uh what did you give up like sugar or something jamie <laughs> uh no i said i was gonna walk uh i was gonna oh, walk get ready for the hike yeah yeah so walk three to six miles and by the way i just did the uh it was epic everyone in our class should should put this on their bucket list i did the march back from from lake frederick to to West Point with my daughter's company, with company A4. And it was absolutely phenomenal. You go there at two o'clock in the morning. Uh, I did it with our classmates. I did it with Otto Leon. I did it with uh, Pat Mullen. Uh, I did it with um, uh, Kirsten Howe and with uh, Mark and Holly West. It was phenomenal. So you go there at two o'clock in the morning, you see these cadets up on the Lake Frederick. You always see like these red lights kind of buzzing around from their their, their headlamps and you get there you get reunited with your company and then you walk back it's really worth something to do it's everyone should do it and um it's only open to graduates we can only do it and if you don't want to do the 14 mile walk there's a two mile walk you can do it just from the from the um from the ski slope into west point also you know a, a lighter version if that's what if that's what floats your boat Definitely worthwhile. But so I walked, so Vince, to your point, I walked at least five miles a day for 30 days. I did it. And I also tried to reduce my intake of alcohol, which I did as well. Uh, and so that the was- 50, Does the 50 year class march back no matter what, if they don't have a kid there or not? Yeah, well, the 50 year class, they, they're usually doing the two mile thing. They're, so they're, okay. they're sort of, but there was a few 77 grads that were there. The 77, so the 50 year affiliate program, Dennis, for your just background, West Point uh, matches from 50 years ago to now. They take the 50 year program and they match them with the incoming class. And then they march through, and there's eight, they consider eight pivotal events for the, uh, for, for the class. So the first one is our day. So the 77 grads are there for our day greeting the new cadets the, the very first day. They're there for A Day, which is, which is acceptance day. That's when they finish, um, they just finished peace. They also did the march back with them. They're there for yearling winter weekend. They're there for 500th night. They're there for ring weekend. They're there for graduation, et cetera, et cetera. It's a magical kind of connection between these, these 50 year affiliate programs. And that to, to that point, Dennis, we have twice a year, we have, an all hands on deck class call, a Zoom call. We do it on the 91st day of the year, which happens to be April 1st. We have a Zoom call with our whole class. And we also do it on September 1st, which is coming up in a 
it's like two or three weeks. September 1st also happens to be the first day of kindergarten in many schools, which is the day that, this is a little depressing to think about, our 50-year affiliate kids are starting kindergarten. So we should have, like, we should celebrate that milestone. The 50-year affiliate class starts kindergarten in September. We're going to have a 9-1 meeting. We should talk about our 50-year affiliate program. So they're, they're turning five years old. They're the class of 2041, our class. So, wow. but, but this idea about destigmatizing mental health awareness and seeking mental health, I will tell you, I sought mental health counseling very recently with the buildup to our day, the buildup of having to have my daughter go off the 90 second goodbye. I got to tell you for the last year, I've been tearing up thinking about that event. And also not just what that event represented, but of her kind of following in my footsteps and going off and, you know, being a cadet. But the fact that the mortality of the fact that I'm getting older, this is my kid leaving the nest, my last kid leaving the nest. Um, how are my wife and I going to navigate this newfound freedom, but also this newfound stress? So I, I subscribe to BetterHelp, betterhelp.com. I got connected with a, uh, a counselor, met with them once a week. Um, in addition to that once a week, which was okay, and not great, but it was okay, there's all these other resources that are there at betterhelp.com. So, um, and talk spaces and other things. So they're, they're not bad things to do. Um, it helped me get through it. It helped me get through it. I'm, 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 I kind of moved through like an eight week period. I've now suspended my account. I feel like I'm in a good spot, but I did that for the last eight weeks. And so it was, it was helpful for me. Well, your duty shall be done there, brother, because you did the work. You did what Vince was doing, what he was preaching earlier. And, and, and think about this. There's three guys on this podcast right now. And you told me in 1991, we'd be on a podcast talking about mental health. I'm like, oh, no one talks about that. We're not talking about it. But here we are talking about you going talking about you went to counseling. I, I've gone to counseling. I'm sober uh, 29 years. You know, we got to take care of us. You know, our mental health is just as important as physical health. And dude, hats off, 14 mile hike is pretty legit. Uh, you had to be sore a little bit the next day, but you nailed it. I was sore. Uh, Otto, Leon, and I did it together. And then we went out that day, we got foot massages together, <laughs> which is another, another great thing, another great bonding experience, you know, going for a foot massage, self-care. Self-care, <laughs> exactly, spot on. You did, you did the work and, it, and you, you earned it. Yeah. Well, empty nesting and, uh, you know, health and nutrition. I mean, you think about walking back with this 50 year class, you know, 18 or so years from now, you got to, we got to take care of our bodies. And if health and wellness isn't number one, please um, tell me what needs to be number one right now is, you know, in our lives and just having this kind of camaraderie where, you know, we share ideas about health and wellness and we make it to that 50 year march back 18 years from now. Um, it's a pretty good goal um, when you see the class of 77 doing it. I saw a few pictures from their class from Nebraska. I was fortunate to be the West Point Society president of Nebraska and Western Iowa for five years. So still kind of follow some 77 grads from the Midwest. And, um, you know, 
you think about us being empty nesters now, well then, you know, as we get older, maybe it's pain that we can't get rid of chronic pain. It's like, there's always going to be a challenge that we have to get through or find a solution. And, you know, if you let chronic pain cripple you, well then, you know, you start looking at other options that probably aren't good. And, um, whether it's, um, you know, an addiction or, you know, it's kind of substance abuse or, um, just saying, Hey, I can't take the pain anymore, but health and wellness can get us around those things. And so I'm just thankful I'm in South Florida because I, you know, I have the wife that makes me play two hours of pickleball every morning and I had 20 pounds just melt off me, but I'm more than happy to host any, uh, West pointers down here for a pickleball weekend or pickleball week we got the mecca of pickleball i don't know if any of our classmates have uh got, gotten the pickleball bug yet but it's coming if you haven't <laughs> well vince you served up a softball for me too talking about this idea of, of health and wellness and, and collaboration so at, coming off of this this one week of class leaders conference so i did the the march back on saturday I had a day and a half break, and then I did four days of a class leaders conference at West Point. And headed down by our classmate, Mark Beeger, company A4, is now the president and CEO of the West Point uh, Association of Graduates. And he's continuing in the mission that was, that was kind of handed down to him through the board of directors, which is to be the most interconnected, supportive alumni association on the planet. Right. And so if you look at what these other classes are doing, class of 77, class of 72, class of 67 specifically, they are look, they're like kind of uh, crowdsourcing best practices around things like physical health, mental health, coordinating around challenges that, that their class is having. The class of 67 actually had a conference, a medical conference where they're dealing with things like orthopedics. Um, cancer, dealing with ALS, dealing with dementia, all the things that that class is beginning to have to deal with, they're dealing with it together as a class. Amazing. So we have the same ability, Dennis, to your point, an individual stick can be broken, a bundle of sticks is stronger than ever. This is what we're doing. This is what the class of 91 is all about. And as we look at the challenges that we currently face, which is like aging parents, changing jobs, empty nesting, challenging kids that have come through COVID. That's one of our, I think, our biggest challenges now is parenting yeah. the COVID generation. These are things we get to do together, right? And this is the way that we get to collaborate together as a class. And that's where I got my name for my foundation. It, it, the half of sorrow, it comes from that Swedish proverb where a shared joy is a double joy. So yes, you'll do fun things like you'll go golfing, smoke cigars and have a ball. But remember that the latter part of that goes, a shared sorrow is half a sorrow. And you'll share your sorrows with your class too, mates too. And you'll see they'll cut them in half. Now you'll never get rid of them because a half of a half of a half, you'll always have a remainder. But that's where we got our, our, our foundation name from because it's it's important that you share both the fun stuff and the, and, the, and the tough stuff. And you guys are doing it. You do have a very uh, unique alumni association because of what you all went through at West Point. And if I could share my bitter West Point memory, because Vince is going to bring it up anyway, I played lacrosse at Nyack High School, and we got invited to go play at Mikey Stadium. 
And we were the opening act before Army. I think they were playing Syracuse that day, which is big time lacrosse. And uh, we were out there and uh, I got stripped. It was like the, coming down the last 10 seconds, we did a face off. I got the ball, I had it, and then I didn't have it. And they took it down and they scored and the game was over. Like I got stripped of the ball. So every time I walk into Mikey Stadium, I had like, I shudder a little bit. It was my worst lacrosse memory ever. And we lost the game. And then we had this picnic afterwards, but no one wanted to be there because we just lost. So um, I have a bitter West Point memory I thought I'd share with you guys. Because <laughs> Vince is going to bring it up anyway, because he told me he was. <laughs> well, Dennis, um, we, we've spoken with uh, a number of classmates that are in influential areas. So like, a shout out to Dennis. He was just at McDill Air Force Base working with an air refueling wing and, you know, gave their their annual talk. So he does some innovative um, videos for construction companies, some heavy equipment companies because they have a high prevalence of suicide. So he really has a lot of resources at halfasaro.org, but he also can be invited to talk and really gives uh, some of the best in the business talks out there because he's lived it and he's he can connect because he's oh what wait a white male in in between 44 and 65 so he connects with men and there's not many men speakers out there that do what he does and so uh, he's on he's on the road he's been out to Reno he's been coast to coast Washington State even so, I mean, he's he's getting on the road and he's doing this full time. So if there are any classmates that really want to, um, you know, put a booster shot into their organization, I would highly encourage them to really reach out to Dennis because he's the right person to do it. And you can see Dennis's talks as well on YouTube. You just Google his name. TEDx talk, yeah. TEDx talk, Dennis Gillen or half a sorrow set app Asaro Foundation. You'll find his talks. You also find you've done a number of podcasts as well, Dennis. So I, you know, I've heard your story. I've heard the tragic story of, of having lost your, your two brothers. And I think one of the things that I've found come up in the stories that I've listened to is that you didn't talk about it. Your family didn't talk about it. We didn't have it out front as a conversation, right? It was like you lost your older brother, Mark, and then everyone went back to their work. Like you mentioned that you were you were at West Virginia studying, I think you're 20 years old. And five days later, you're back at school trying to mask the pain with alcohol is with alcohol and just powering through. And so um, can you can you speak about the importance of our uh, surfacing this as a topic and continuing to face into it as a, as a class? Yeah, I, Jamie, you nailed it. I went into like my man cave, which is a horrible place to go when you're not doing so well. Because you think we all, we all lone wolf it. I, I went through uh, from society. I was in a wonderful fraternity at West Virginia. Those guys didn't see me for years. I never came back to anything. I was gone. I wasn't going to, you know, you withdraw and you isolate when you're not feeling well. And it's funny you said that because I was looking at doing some math earlier today. When did I start speaking about my brothers? It was 16 years after I lost my younger brother. 16 years later, I stood on a stage at a fundraiser and said, this is what happened. And I thought for real, I thought I was going to sit down and like, that's it. I did it. And some woman comes up to me after I spoke. She goes, you need to tell that story more often. 
And I kind of laughed at her. I said, hey, dude, I'm done. You heard the one and done show. But, you know, we make plans and God laughs. Then I got invited to do a couple other schools and it just started snowballing. That people want to hear the story. But what they really want to hear, and this is what I think, you know, they want to hear someone being vulnerable. And then for the first time in my life, I put my heart out there. And normally I protect it. And I put it out there. And it's what's really cool to see that after the talk, and there's a, there's a million people that can give this talk because everybody is dealing with something. But after the talk, I get to sit around and listen to the stories of the people that come up to afterwards. The talk is really good, but the stuff that happens afterwards is magical. And I spoke at a university in Georgia, Georgia Southern University. I got done at eight o'clock. I got back to my car at 1030. The kids wanted to talk. The people want to talk. They come out of the woodwork. Back to that sharing your sorrow part. So it's it's been an unbelievable ride. And it really started, I think, when I got nudged. Uh, I say a God nudge, but it's um, I got pushed into it. And my misery became my mission. And all of a sudden, these wonderful doors open up look look what i'm doing today i'm talking to vince linda my and jamie's like who would have thunk that you know 10 years ago i'm talking to two west point grads about mental health that wasn't even conceived about when i first started talking about matt and mark so it's been a crazy wild ride and it's 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 part of that purpose-driven life now so here Dennis, we are can you talk about um just that camo hat club oh yeah this is something to do that's low tech. Uh, when I went through a divorce, and I, you know, I wouldn't wish that on anyone, uh, I went from a really big house to a small apartment. And we started, I started seeing these guys downstairs and uh, they had a coffee machine downstairs. I go down there and run into these guys. So we started saying, hey, we should have breakfast like once a month or something just to get off what we call the campus. We have this apartment building. And now we, uh, gosh, it's going six, seven years strong. We, we made it through COVID. We used to meet out, outdoors. I'm in South Carolina. You could do that for a long time. But we now meet the first Thursday of every month. We get together and we have breakfast. And that's all it is. It's a touch point. It's, it's not a Bible study. If you love the Lord, you should be doing a Bible study. Whatever you do, it's all it is is a meal. But at the end of the meal, uh, because I'm there, I say, how's everybody's mental health? And one day we had this guy show up. He looked like crap. He really did. He just looked bad. And you could just tell. And we, had, we said, what's going on? And he goes, well, I'm going through a divorce. Little did he know that he sat down at a table where three out of five of us went through one. So we're like, come to Papa. How can we help you? And that's where men need men. You know, and I'm saying it's just like, wow. You know, and women need women. Um, but it was just interesting. So this camel hat club, I bought one here. This is my fraternity. There it is. You guys are familiar with camouflage. There we go. And, um, and the reason we picked camouflage is because men tend to camouflage their emotions. And we got to stop doing that. We, we got to start talking about this stuff. So I look forward to that breakfast every month. Uh, I make it come, you know, hell or high water. And it's it's so simple. It's a text chain. I'm not talking about anything complex here. We Usually we get a text. This is how guys operate. Wednesday before the Thursday, someone goes, hey, is that thing tomorrow? We're like, oh, yeah, it is. See you at Maple Street Biscuit. And that's where we go. And, you know, some days we get two or three guys. Some days we're eight guys. It just depends who can make it. But it's so informal, but it's so important that we stay in touch, especially as we age. I'm back to that thing again, that 44 and above, as it, people start leaving the house and we're all alone. And I would encourage every one of you to get a camo hot club because it's really simple. And I, I get to eat a nice breakfast at least once a month. Um, so that's what we're doing. So thank you for that prompt, Vince. I forgot about that. That's a big all deal. Those, all those rangers get their blueberry pancakes once a month, right, Jamie? 
Oh yeah, good stuff. Blueberry pancakes. <laughs> I know plenty of Rangers talk about blueberry pancakes on these podcasts. And you were talking, Jamie, about some classmates going camping. It's like I've seen the Scotty Halstead doing the Appalachian Trail and another hog doing it just recently, at least in segments. But, you know, uh, wouldn't it be cool if someone's like, hey, I'm just going out for the weekend and we're going to just camp and have a fire and poke the stick in the fire and tell stories would be neat to, you know, get that out there on the boards and stuff. Did you say someone was going camping recently? Yeah, I think Kenny Mintz and Chris Barden are going next weekend up in upstate uh, New York. And I, I really would love to go. I just, this is my wife's week off from work and she's going to be down the beach and she wants me to be with her. So I think, uh, I think they're going to be taking second fiddle to my wife. I don't think I can, I mean, I don't think I could steal away for a weekend, but it sounds like a great, great time. I think, you know, campfires are really unique. Um, the whole concept of a campfire this idea that you are just kind of hanging out looking at the campfire, you don't need to talk because you got the campfire entertaining you, but you can talk. It creates this, I think it's a unique, it creates a unique dynamic of dialogue that allows for you to share a little bit better, right? The, the whole idea of a, of, a, of a campfire, I think is pretty unique, right? It's awesome. You just had me thinking, I, I played lacrosse in 2015 and 16 up in Lake Placid, New York. When you mentioned New York, and the best part of that was at night we we fire up the campfire, and the, you know the lacrosse was awful, but the campfire was awesome. So Dennis, what about from a parenting perspective? Because you know a lot of us have kids in their in their teenagers or their young adults. These are difficult people to communicate with and to parent, right? And I think that they are also vulnerable going through transition having come out through COVID. Um, do you have perspectives on that? Like, how do we how do we parent through this tough time? There's a tool I have on my website, halfasar.org, I think is a great tool for parents and kids to fill out. It's a safety plan. And it's it, it was really generic. And I took this college kid, I said, can you funk this thing up a little bit? And she did. She made it a little funkier. It says, hey, you know, oh crap, I'm going down or something like that. And it lists some of the stuff. If I was a you know, I had my boys, but if, if I was working with a parent, especially after COVID, a kid, um, I'd fill it out with them. And you do your own too. We all need a safety plan. I have one. I have one filled out for me. And, I, and my friends who are on it, who I have to call when I'm, in, you know, when I'm not doing so well, they know they're on it. But I would definitely use that as a prompt. And it, what it does, it spurns a conversation about mental health and how important it is. And you, you better believe because of the position I'm in, I talk to my boys about it all the time. I have two boys and it's that's part of the phone call. How's your mental health, Brendan? How's your mental health, Martin? You're doing good? And I hope, you know, you always think you hope they come to you and they would open up to you. But if you develop that relationship, and I, I definitely would suggest trying something because it's a tough subject to talk about. And these kids are seeing so much these days. It's not even funny um, through the, you know, this little device, the social media and the phones. But I would start there and have that safety plan to fill it out and just, as a parent said, you know, if you really got in a jam, would you come to me? Because, you know, I want you to. Yeah, I think about our, our visionary classmate, D.A. Sims, Lieutenant General D.A. Sims. And when he was the commander of first, first, uh, first ID, and then also when he was a brigade commander, he did this as well. He mandated every soldier has to go through counseling. 
Like, it's not your choice. You must do this, right? And he said, like, if you want to go and just talk about the hockey game, that's fine. But your, your ass is going to be in the seat. And I'm going to lead by example. I'm going to do it myself. But I, like, it's funny. I wish that my, I wish that my kids were, I wish I could mandate it. I mean, I guess I can't really do it even as, as a parent, you know, but like, how do you make it so that you can destigmatize it and just make it like normal? I don't know. Just, it's, it's, uh, you know, I, I just, I, I wish I could force it on them, you know, but you can't necessarily, right? Yeah, and a couple of years ago, there was a show that came out called 13 Reasons Why. And if you had kids, they kind of watched it. Jamie, obviously, I struck a chord. You saw my uh, reaction, right? Scary, because I, I, there's, this, there's this concept of um, suicide contagion, you know, when you, when you, when you kind of glorify it, which I hope we're not doing tonight, right? I mean, we're talking, but, but, but the, the point is, like, even like these, we, these, these, um, these organizations that talk about 22 veterans a day, and they, they kind of glorify the idea of 22. They try to, there's 22 veterans kill themselves every day. By the way, it's not 22. It's less than that. You know, look at, look at the data. And it's never 22 a day. There are vulnerabilities. There are different points in time throughout the year where, where it's more or less. And um, I think that that just, it kind of works at cross purposes of the mission. Like you want to raise awareness. Don't talk about that number that's even wrong to begin with, right? Yeah, talk, talk more protective factors. And where I was going with that 13 reasons why, I had a mother come to me on Facebook and she said, I'm not going to let my daughter watch that. And I wrote her back on Messenger. I said, well, just check to see if she already watched it because they have Netflix in their pockets. She came back to me. She goes, oh my God, she watched it already. I'm like, no kidding. <laughs> they have access. So then I said, well, now you have to watch it with your daughter and you have to have this conversation. That's That would be a really good thing to do. And she goes, all right. 13 episodes, an hour each, I'm in. And at the end of that, her daughter found out that a friend was having trouble and was thinking about suicide and had the guts to tell her mother about it. And that mother called the other mother and they got help for that kid. So because that little situation where they sat there and watched a stupid TV show about a stupid suicide, I was so mad at that show because they, they sort of glorified it a little bit because she had you know, everyone idolized this girl that died. It was awful. Um, but the, the parent had a conversation, and I think we saved the kid because of that conversation. So that might be the one case where there's a net good that came from something like that. Exactly. Uh, I mean, I, exactly. I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't watch it, but it concerns me when we have that kind of glorification of it. Let me tell you about a net good story. We went on hope here. We always saw a lot of hope. Remember a couple of years ago, that guy Logic, he's a rapper. And he had that song with the 800-273-TALK number in it. He talked about suicide, but he promoted the song. It was, it was actually called 800-273-TALK, which at the time was the suicide you know, um, hotline. It's now 988. It's three digits. It's shorter. But he had this rap song about it, did not glorify it, told people to get help, was bold out with his personal journey. They think, they did a study, and they think by the number of uptakes in that phone number and the, the number of calls that increased after that song came out, he, this rapper, may have saved like 245 kids. How cool is that? So as much as there's a negative effect, if we start talking about it and then here's a rap song and the kids are listening to it and this guy was, you know, telling them to get help, you know, the, he may have saved, based on numbers, how many calls went up and they did some analysis about 245 lives. What kind of legacy is that? Wow. That's tremendous. So we're moving towards the end of our podcast and I'm going to ask each of you, Vince and Dennis, to 
to think about what you want to leave us with. But before I go there, you could be thinking while I'm talking here, I want to talk about the value that we have in our alumni network, the value we have as a class, and the mechanism that we're going to use to be even more connected than we've been, which is Sally Port. You know, there, there is so much value to Sally Port. There's so much that could be done. Having now come off of like this week of our class, uh, doing the class leaders conference, I am convinced that this is a super powerful tool. It's ultimately customizable. It's very, very private. It's not something that like can be um, monetized through some third party. It's just about us, right? So this is the mechanism by which we stay connected and we're able to support each other. And so more and more is gonna be coming about Sally Port. If you're not already registered on Sally Port, find it, look at, you know, Association of Graduates, Sally Port is a way to register. And we're gonna to continue to evolve that to be more and more supportive for our class. So as we move forward here to close out our podcast, um, let me begin with you, Dennis, first, and I'll end with you, Vince, about what you wanna leave with us. So Dennis, you've got, hundreds of people from our class listen to this podcast, a few people from outside of our podcast, a few people from outside of our class. What would you like to leave with the class of 1991 as some parting thoughts for from tonight's episode? All right, class of 1991, I'm jealous listening to about all this stuff you have available to you. Through your alumni association, you have a very tight bundle because you went to West Point. And I'm sitting there as an outsider going, damn, that's some really cool stuff. Now it's only cool if you take advantage of it. It's only cool if you, like Ben said, you put in the work. If you know, if uh, your duty shall be done, I think your duty shall be done. You got to listen to Jamie and register for that darn site and start hooking up with people. Uh, you don't want to do it. Like, I don't want to go get a physical at my doctor, but I'm glad I did it when I'm done. Uh, I think this is one of those things you registered, you get, and you'll be glad you did it. And all of a sudden you get guys like Vince calling you from you know, South Florida saying, hey, we're closer than you think. Let's go get coffee. So. I'm going to leave it up to you guys, but I mean, I'm sitting here as Jamie, listen to you and Vince talk about these tight network of connections and these, these shared memories. And I'm jealous as heck because I didn't get that at West Virginia University. I didn't get my four-year school. You guys have a lifetime of commitment together. Keep it going. Keep it going. Back to the bundle. I'm back to the bundle. Dennis, thank you so much for your thoughts tonight. Thank you for joining us on the Ogre Podcast. Vince, why don't you close us out? Uh, gratitude. Um, I'm thankful. You know, you go back to the teenager, Jamie, you like, how do you talk to a teenager? They have timelines, they have expectations, they have that social media monster. And um, I was just talking with my daughter, she wasn't sure when she was getting engaged. And she's like, Oh, my gosh, is it gonna be this week? It's like, I kind of slowed it all down 23 year old and said, Hey, be thankful that you guys survived a long distance relationship. Celebrate this weekend. Just have gratitude the whole weekend that you guys did it. You survived. Who cares when he pops the ring out? Don't worry about that. Like, let's have gratitude that you're finishing your last. Um, this was pre-engagement counseling. I Yeah, it went there. Like, before you even get a ring, she did counseling. So, yeah, celebrate that last pre-engagement counseling. So, gratitude. Um, the next healthy leaders for with Tracy Fisher is Thursday. Um, I got a twin birthday party that I'm going to be at. So I won't be at that Facebook group, but I highly encourage 
people to ramp up and say, you know what, I'm going to get online and get that healthy leaders group with Tracy Fisher going. It's just a great inclusive group. Everybody's always welcome. And it's very transparent and confidential. But let's go back to gratitude and be just thankful that we've had this time to talk, that we have listeners and that we have things, all these great tools and resources, and that we need to step up and do the work and um, use the tools and resources. And we need to do the work that we know we need to do. We need to work out. We need to follow good nutrition. And we need to have that goal that we're going to do a march back when we're really old. So thanks, Jamie. Well, and on that point of gratitude, I'm grateful for both of you for joining us tonight. This has been a tremendous episode. Everybody make tomorrow an awesome day. Keep putting one foot in front of the other and let's be there to support each other. Let's cooperate and graduate through life and duty shall be done. I'm gonna let the credits roll out. Thank you everybody for joining us on the Old Grab Podcast. Why you had to hide away for so long? So why did we go wrong? Mr. Blue Sky, please tell us why you